Chapter Seven of Doom Castle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Doom Castle by Neil Munro. Chapter Seven, The Bay of the Boar's Head. A solemn game indeed for the baron was a man of a sobriety unaccountable to montaiglon who from what he knew of macdonnell of barristel macleod balhaldy and the others of the gaelic gang in paris had never looked for a roisterer in doom it was a man with strange melancholies he found there with a ludicrous decorum for a person of his condition rising regularly on the hour it seemed and retiring early to his chamber like a peasant keeping no company with the neighbouring lads because he could not even pretend to emulate their state passing his days among a score of books in english some as the sieur de gueule in french and a bedel bible in the irish letter and as often walking aimlessly about the shore looking ardently at the hills and rehearsing to himself native rhymes that ever account native women the dearest and the same hills the most beautiful in god's creation he was the last man to look to for aid in an enterprise like montaillon's if he had an interest in the exploit it seemed it was only to discourage the same and an hour or two of his company taught the count he must hunt his spy unaided but the hunting of the spy in the odd irrelevance or inconsistency of nature was that day at least an enterprise altogether absent from his thoughts he had been diverted from the object of his journey to scotland by just such a hint at romance as never failed to fascinate a montaillon and he must be puzzling himself about the dulcet singer and her share in the clandestine midnight meeting when he had finished his game with his host and the latter had pleaded business in the burg as an excuse for his absence in the afternoon count victor went round doom on every side trying to read its mystery while it was a house whose very mortar must be drenched with tradition whose every window had looked upon histories innumerable worth retelling nothing was revealed of the matter in hand many rooms of it were obviously unoccupied for in the domestic routine of the baron of mungo and the lady of song there were two stories utterly unoccupied and even in the flat's habitat there were seemingly chambers vacant at least ever unopened and forlorn count victor realized as he looked at the frowning and taciturn walls that he might be in doom a twelvemonth and have no chance to learn from that abstracted scholar its owner one half of its interior economy from the ground he could get no clear view of the woman's window that he discovered early for it was the woman he sought the key to all of doom's little mystery he must to command the window climb to his own chamber in the tower and even then it was not a full front view he had but a foreshortened glance at the side of it and the signal if any more signalling there might be he never entered that room without a glance along the sunlit walls he never passed the mouth of that corridor on the half landing where his candle had blown out without as curious a scrutiny as good breeding might permit and nothing was disclosed 
mungo pervaded the place mungo toiling in the outhouses at tasks the most menial feeding the half-dozen molting poultry digging potatoes in the patch of garden or plucking coalwood there climbing the stairs with buckets of peter wood shaking a tablecloth to the breeze and in the sull the dark and ruminating master indulging his melancholy by rebuilding the past and the red ash of the fire or looking with pensive satisfaction from his window upon the coast a book upon his knee that was doom as count victor was permitted to know it he began at last to doubt his senses and half believe that what he had heard on the night of his arrival had been some chimera a dream of a wearied and imperiled man in unaccustomed surroundings mungo saw him walk with poorly concealed curiosity about the outside of the stronghold and smiled to himself as one who knows the reason for a gentleman's prying montaillon caught that smile once his chagrin at its irony was blended with a pleasing delusion that the frank and genial domestic might proffer a solution without indelicate questioning but he was soon undeceived the discreet retainer knew but three things in this world the grandeur of war the ancient splendour of the house of doom and the excellent art of absent-mindedness when it came to the contents of doom mungo boyd was an oyster it must have been a place of some importance in its day said count victor gazing up at the towering walls and the broken embrasures and what is it yet demanded mungo jealously with no recollection that a moment ago he had been mourning its decline eh bien it is quite charming such of it as i have had the honour to see still when the upper stages were habitable and count victor mentally cursed his luck that he must fence with a blunt-witted scullion oh ay all elio i've seen it no say empty if that's what you mean but if it's not just dimberton or dundon it's still old bald doom and an ill devil to crack as the laddie said that found the nutmeg but surely conceded montaignon and yet and yet have you ever heard of jericho monsieur boyd its capitulation was due to so simple a thing as the playing of a trumpet or two i ken nothing about trumpets said mungo curtly distinguishing some arrière-pensée in the interrogator fin donc and you so much the old sabreur perhaps you people march to the flageolet a seductive instrument i assure you the little man betrayed confusion anna plathrape stares a ghastly flageolet about doom said he but it'll hate to toil away lang or the wars o o'er jericho for they're saving fate thick he plays divinely this ghostly flageolet and knows his handle to a demi semi quaver said count victor coolly oh lord lugs i told them that muttered mungo pardon nothing we're idiots new and then and and i moan away 
so incontinently he parted from count victor who to pass the afternoon went walking on the mainland highway he walked to the south through the little hamlet he and doom had visited early in the day and as the beauty of the scenery allured him increasingly the farther he went he found himself at last on a horn of the great bay where the duke's seat lay sheltered below its hilly ramparts as he had walked to this place he had noticed that where yesterday had been an empty sea was now a fleet of fishing-boats scurrying in a breeze off land setting out upon the evening travail a heartening spectacle and that on either side of him once the squalid huts of doom were behind was a more dainty country with cultivated fields well fenced and so he was not wholly unprepared for the noble view revealed when he turned the point of land that hid the policies of mccailan moor but yet the sight somewhat stunned in all his notions of drimdarroch's habitation since he had seen the poverty of doom he had taken his idea from the baron's faded splendour and had ludicrously underestimated the importance of argyll's court and the difficulty of finding his man instead of a bleak bare countryside with the ducal seat a mean tower in the midst of it he saw a wide expanse of thickly wooded and inhabitable country speckled for miles with comfortable dwellings the castle itself a high embattled structure clustered round by a town of some dimensions and at its foot a harbour where masts were numerous and smoke rose up in clouds here was plainly a different society from doom here was something of what the exiled chiefs had bragged of in their cups the baron had suggested no more than a dozen of cadets about the place grand dieu there must be a regiment in and about this haughty place with its black and yellow banner streaming in the wind and to seek drimdroch there and around that busy neighbourhood seemed a task quite hopeless for long he stood on the nose of land gazing with a thousand speculations at where probably lay his prey and when he returned to the castle of doom it looked all the more savage and inhospitable in contrast with the lordly domicile he had seen what befell him there on his return was so odd and unexpected that it clean swept his mind again of every interest in the spy End of chapter 7